Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Overnight Trading Card Company Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. The we have not sold a darn thing, we have no products, give us a big, big valuation, thank you for your money podcast, right? Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. I, I mean, I think everybody right now, probably in the sports business world, I'm saying, oh, I think they're talking about fanatics. <laughs> it's unbelievable, Scott. The, the news here this week, the trading card company that fanatics is is going to launch in the future, which we've talked about on previous shows because it essentially disrupted the entire industry about a month ago. Uh, they just raised money from a series of investors, including Silver Lake, Endeavor, Insight Partners. They raised $350 million. Scott, the interesting number here, obviously, is the valuation. $10.4 billion. Again, as you said, for a company that has not put out a single product and doesn't really have much uh, underneath it right now outside of a few obviously valuable licensing deals. Well, I, I enjoyed it. And this is going to be, again, the, the flex at our power lunch not long ago. You know, Michael Rubin in the room and I I was always just sort of like watching. And of course, I was talking to everybody, but keeping an eye on who people were talking to, who seemed to be lying to who. And, you know, Michael Rubin was a popular guy in the room. You know, everybody's interested in all the conversations I have with people, too. They always bring up fanatics and, hey, what do you think? What are they doing? What's going on? What do you Should know? I be concerned? I think yeah, is another exactly. question. Are, are, are they targeting what I do? Right. Yeah. It's uh, funny that but, you use the words keeping an eye on because I think there's a lot of people in the industry that are that are keeping an eye on Michael Rubin and fanatics. Well, well. <laughs> yeah, except for tops uh, but, and Panini, but they're keeping eyes and ears <laughs> and feelers and everything you can. Like, what are they up to next? Who are they talking to? Um, because they have really placed themselves at the center, and I think we've talked about this, of sports and consumer behavior. And would you be surprised, Evan? I, I know the answer is no, but what are they doing in the sports betting space? Nothing dot, dot, dot yet. What are they doing in the ticketing space? Nothing ellipse yet. <laughs> so, And there are, by the way, plenty of companies that are looking for acquirers. So it, they've just placed themselves, whether it's Ecom, ticketing, sports betting, and I still believe live event presentation, first screen, second screen, third screen experience, Michael Rubin is there, is planning on being there uh, right at the center of all sports consumer behavior. And, and we're getting a sense, Scott, of how he plans probably to build all of these businesses. And it's and it's a playbook that he used to make Fanatics the core business, Equity. the biggest thing in, in licensed sportswear. Yeah, it's long-term partnerships and it's giving equity to the leagues. And and in this case, in the, in the sports, in the trading card world, the, the, the players unions as well, because they have really valuable IP in this specific industry. Uh, but it is long-term partnerships and it's equity that, that makes uh, the leagues... And and the unions have a have a vested interest in your company being the dominant monopolistic force in the industry moving forward. Let um, me ask you a question, if I may. Uh, yeah. Just because, again, you're you're dealing with IP, and you saw players' unions taking back group licensing rights in in last negotiations, particularly the NBPA. Where is the value? Because Panini does have a line of cards that's just player without team and league marks, and and I hear it does pretty well. Um, when you're moving forward at NFT, let's say I, I want a LeBron NFT. Okay. Uh, do I need LeBron in a Laker jersey? 
does that make it more valuable or is any old LeBron NFT, um, you know, is that going to sell? Uh, let's look at football since, you know, the NFL is, you know, they just signed a, a, a Dapper Labs deal and we'll get to that in a moment. But where is the value? Is it the player, uh, the LeBron? And we've talked about this in the college space, right? And, and I think in the college space, there's the greater value in the team name and marks. Because if you took the best players from, let's say, Alabama against Ohio State, Michigan, whatever, if you put the best players on a neutral field and said, Joe Blow is playing, and then there's the linemen, uh, and it could be the best players in college football, I don't think too many people would care. But if it's Alabama versus Auburn, if it's Michigan against Ohio State, I don't think it matters who the players are in the helmets. It's, it's Alabama versus Auburn, Michigan, Ohio State, and people want to see that. Yeah, I think it, it it varies by sport. It varies by player. Of course, the the easy answer here is is you want both. Which trading card companies essentially for the past thirty forty years have essentially largely had both. We saw this exact thing, Scott, when NFTs kind of first took off earlier this year. Rob Gronkowski, one of the first athletes to release NFTs, he did it without any official marks from the NFL or, or the teams he's played on, and they were kind of generic photos where the the uniforms and the logos had been kind of scrubbed out, so you could tell. It was a Buccaneers jersey, but there was no there was no IP on it to speak of. I think for trading cards, I think you kind of need both. I think for NFTs, we've seen that maybe you don't. I think there's there's certainly ways that athletes are, and seen it in UFC as well. There's ways that athletes can use NFTs. I think in a digital way to kind of grant access to who they are as human beings, behind the scenes type stuff. And I think that's really valuable in a digital way. I don't see given that the trading card is essentially just a static image. There's, there's no real way to gussy that up all that much. I feel like to do that, you you really need to have both. What about that prism kind of card? You know, the one like if you tilt it left and right, it like the picture goes through the motion, right? You know, they're not all static images. Those, I used to love those cards. Yeah, yeah. I like the one. Who was it? Was it I, and I'm testing my memory and I really don't remember, but there was somebody like had an expletive on his bat. Was that Billy Ripkin? Oh, that's there was interesting. One and they just never noticed. Was, yeah, it's yeah, on the yeah, of the it bat. got printed yeah, yeah, with yeah. the expletive yeah. on the bat or there's one where something was backwards. You know, it's like the Brewster's million stamp. It like the plane was upside down and he mailed it. So you, you get value in the mistakes. Um, but that I guess that doesn't happen sort of in the in the digital world. But then again, the digital who knows? world feels again much more much more loose. And and to this this question, the Fanatics Trading Card Company is launching right now with deals with the NBA and the MBPA, MLB and MLBPA. So it has both in both baseball and basketball. On the NFL side, right now at least, it's just the NFLPA and not the NFL itself. So we may even see if this is the stable of partners and unions that that Fanatics Trading Cards launches with, we may see how different we feel about the product that is just NFL player IP only or the product that has both NBA players and NBA logos. All right. Uh, since I let the cat out of the bag that we were going to talk about Dapper Labs and the NFL and we're talking digital and NFTs anyway, uh, I guess nobody should be surprised that uh, with the success of Top Shot and the NBA, that uh, the most visible and valuable sports league, the NFL, also now has a deal with Dapper Labs. And uh, we'll see what kind of NFT products they can put out there. But I'm sure this isn't this is an educated guess, Evan, that uh, there will be quite a a vigorous appetite for such things in the marketplace. Absolutely. This is looking to be, I would assume, something very similar to what Dapper Labs has done with the NBA for NBA Top Shot, which I think for most people, uh, that was the introduction they had to NFTs being a thing. Uh, they're essentially, you know, video 
eyesized trading cards to a degree. Um, I'm curious. I would love to have more detail on kind of what this bidding process was like. There is so much competition now for NFT creation and NFT marketplaces. The aforementioned Michael Rubin and Fanatics, they have their own NFT marketplace company in Candy. Tom Brady has his own Tom autograph. Yeah. DraftKings just launched its own marketplace where, where NFTs, they have a partnership with Autograph. There's now so much competition here. Um, but obviously, the NFL is is in almost every way the most valuable piece of, of, of partnership you can have in sports, uh, regardless of the category. So, so certainly a big get uh, for Dapper Labs. Uh, they're going to have to to hone the product a little bit. The, the the way that Top Shot evolved, I think, in some ways. If you just look at the sales numbers, obviously the the the, the market fervor dropped off quite a bit after the, the the huge high that existed in February and March. Um, but the NFL, as you know, Scott asked teams to slow down on the personal team partnerships in NFTs so that it could develop a league-wide approach. And this certainly seems to be, if not the only piece of that approach, the the biggest early piece of that approach. Yeah, so we've got NFL, NFT, and I've seen a lot of discussion lately how people believe that the NFT world is sort of just in that early stage, first inning, even though the the deal flow has slowed and and from a dollar perspective also has slowed as folks in professional sports and and college sports, and there's more to talk about that, by the way, we'll tease that. Um, Professional college, not sure yet, but certainly terminology is changing. Um, uh, About um, where we are and how the leagues and teams and athletes themselves will utilize these things. Um, The NBA, of course, has its blockchain committee. Uh, Owners of like Joe Tsai, uh, Mark Cuban, um, sort of folks who play in that space anyway. And everybody keeps talking about the multiple uses far beyond just NFTs for blockchain and whether it's whether it's experiences, whether it's ownership of tickets and how will you transfer ticketing on a blockchain. Um, we're, we're narrowly looking at the NFT space, but it is a much wider opportunity than just, let's say, a digital collectible. Have, have you, Scott, bought an NFT? I have not. I, has I your focus not. group of one, your 12-year-old son, no, has he bought an NFT? He has not. I mean, I, uh, do I have to, first of all, you know, buy it in crypto and set up an account? And, and what is the friction? And some, and some of them you do. Yeah. And I keep yeah. hearing, like, my, the one word I don't need in my life at this moment, you know, with, with Sportico, uh, and, uh, you know, as I say, anybody who has full-time employment and a child playing high-level travel ice hockey has no time for anything else in their life. So like that's it. If I have any friction whatsoever to entry and if it's the setup, if it's the process, I just I I automatically shut it off. Like that's not for me right now. So what I do and what I count on is for the young bucks like you, even though you're now a middle-aged buck, we have much <laughs> younger bucks on the staff that I could probably go to and say, "All right, walk me through this. What was your experience and tell me about it for when my son decides he does want to jump in." Yeah, and t- Top Shot is uh, and Dapper when they when they released with the NBA, they were one of those platforms that would let you use US dollars uh, to kind of lower the like. bar- barrier to entry. There are other platforms that don't, and and you're right. As someone who has has tried to go through the process of buying actual crypto, uh, it's really difficult. The barrier to entry is extremely high. Um, so at, at least right now, there, there's parts of this industry I think that are um, just th- there's a limited amount of people. 
that have the resources and the means to figure that out and transact in it intelligently. And there's no question that that demographic is uh, certainly shades on the wealthier side, which is probably the the, the type of people they're going after anyway. Um, but you're right. I think this is an industry that is only going to uh, grow wider and also have more applications. The, the more accessible um, crypto becomes and the more accessible blockchain technology comes in its use cases around sports. As you know, I do dabble in Ethereum. I did make an, an investment <laughs> in Ethereum. Uh, well, only you, kind of, right? You dabble in Ethereum ETFs, not in Ethereum the, itself. Well, in the trust, yeah. in, in yeah. the Ethereum trust. Hopefully, yeah. I'm hoping because then sort of the fees will be lowered in, in, in an ETF than it would be in the trust. But that was my entry, yes. So I'm going long, though. Like I'm just I'm looking, I'm listening, I'm listening to owners, I'm listening to athletes, agents, people in the space. I just think we're so early in all this. You're really betting on... You know, there are so many, not only platforms, but, you know, currencies and um, you know, Bit- Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're in a good place right now is sort of leadership positions. I'm going long on it. I try not to look at it every day, even though sometimes, you know, I fail at that measure and then you make fun. I tried to get you in. I, I could have had you. I, where are we now? We're around, what, 20? It was up to 30 something. I, 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 no I could have had you in at like 12, 13, whatever it was. I, I, inv- I said, guys, I'm jumping in. Come on in with me. The jury is still out on whether that was a good investment. Do you know what I wish I I could invest in? The Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Manning cast. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of these. If this was something that I could drop an investment in, knowing Peyton, knowing Eli, believing in the utter destruction of broadcast and the utter adoption of narrow casting... Like people want it the way they want it, how they want it. I want my angle. Like if I could watch a hockey game, every game from the goalie's point of view, give me that broadcast option. That's what I would do. If I could watch a game, listening to commentary from that view with Carey Price walking me through what's going through his mind as the game is going on, give me that option. That is sort of step one of what we're getting here with Peyton and and Eli. And I don't need like, of course, Nickelodeon has the slime for the kids. I get it. But these two and their folksy demeanor and obviously their, their incredible brains for picking apart football and, and knowing what they're talking about. And as I learned in the last one, because I watched a, a good darn bit of it, e, um, yeah, Eli's willingness to criticize. I, I was like, yeah, this is for me. Then you bring on the guests and you hear great stories. Like, I don't care that I'm missing parts of the game, a three-yard run off right tackle. I don't care. I don't need an announcer telling me who got the ball. They went three yards. I don't care. If there's a screen pass one for five yards. I do care where, you know, Peyton and Eli, are, and Eli are telling me stories with LeBron James. That's much more entertaining to me. And by the way, I, and I, I suspect I'm like others. I never switched back to the main broadcast at all. Hour and a half plus I watched all Peyton, all Eli and their guests. You know me, I, I watch almost all of my sports on, on mute because as, as you said, I, I just don't enjoy the way that sports are presented from a main broadcast standpoint. The opportunities here are huge. You're right. I mean, you can invent unlimited amounts of different possibilities from gambling only stack cast to comedians to players. I think the interesting thing about Manning himself or the, the, the two Mannings is that they are this kind of perfect mix of, as you said, they're, they're obviously incredibly knowledgeable at the game. They're good storytellers. They're compelling. They have great rapport 
with each other. They are famous enough that people want to join them in guests. Um, while I think this is something that can be successful in a lot of different realms, I don't know. If, I, I, I'm not sure if anything can be as successful. As Who else this, could do this? This yes. specific this pairing combination. Yes. Like the Carrie Price example you're giving would be great for a lot of people. They'd love it. It is not going to have any kind the of mass appeal. National of, mass yeah. appeal. Correct. Um, and you watch this. I thought the, the bit they, I don't know if you were watching at this point when they had uh, Matthew Stafford on the quarterback. I thought it was of, great. Of the Rams. He's talking about how the hardest part about learning a new playbook is forgetting the old forgetting one. the old terms exactly. yeah same Wait, terms but it had a different meaning exactly yeah. it's little insight like that 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 is that is worth it for me to turn my volume on when almost every kind of national broadcast presentation i don't feel that way about i think is really valuable eli doing the hip warm-up that Dak prescott does and, and he's like oh the tight jeans and i can't quite get around hysterical eli flipping the double bird hysterical like anybody who followed the New York football giants for years knows like he was the most boring guy in the world, right? Now you're just finding out, which I think everybody suspected it was intentional. And there's a big <laughs> personality under there, right? There's some exactly. funny guy under there. And now he's willing to share all that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the future holds. I guess we're coming back in week seven, right? So they have some time off. That's a big, have, big gap. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, who are we going to see that their, their network, the network's network, uh, you know, you're getting all these big names that that's just fun. And I love the fact that you can get active players, retired players, stars from other sports. We're going to get politicians vying to be on here, you know, so, um, and of course, at a time when the fangs are jumping into broadcasting, would an Apple pony up to have Peyton and Eli? Would Amazon pony up as a differentiator to have Peyton and Eli? Clearly, they have struck a chord and I don't know. I mean, so on a really, really, really popular game, let's say we have what? We have Brady going back to New England this weekend. What, what's it going to do? 25 million? Like I'm, I'm, I'm just ballparking here. On NBC, I would think. Yeah, let's just that. say it yeah. does like 25 million. Higher, yeah. if, if Manning and Manning were doing their alternate broadcast, what would it get? Two and a half million, right? I don't know what the size that what this can grow into. I really don't know. I do know that it is the most glaring example to me of how broadcasting is dead and narrow casting will win the day. I think that's I think that's right. And and another question that I'm sure ESPN is trying to figure out, are they drawing new listeners or is the total new watchers or is the total number of people watching Monday Night Football on ESPN and ESPN2 the same number that it would have been otherwise? Uh I I for me again, my own focus group of one myself, um I would probably be watching a Monday Night Football game on mute. Instead, I'm watching it with the sound on on ESPN2. But the Manning cast is not good enough for me to watch a game that I would not otherwise be watching. I think that is a step too far for me personally. So I, I'm sure ESPN is trying to figure out, hey, do we have a new audience here at all? Or are See, we but just now, let me switch it for me, though. Audience? For me, yeah. as here we go. Uh, yes, I'm in, I'm in the business, but very busy with hockey, very, business with, uh, very busy with Sportico. I oftentimes will not watch Monday Night Football. I'm just too darn busy. But I wanted to give this a sample. I wasn't there on week one. I heard the buzz. Wasn't really there on week two. Heard the buzz. Heard it went up a million people, whatever. And I said, all right, now it's time for me to jump in. I sampled. I enjoyed. And while I will probably not sit down and give any three-hour block of my time to any sporting event, I will commit some time in week seven to check. I, I will check and see who the guests are. And I will see if there's one that's more appealing to me than another. And I will try and tune in for a little bit. So are, are more people like you or more people like me? I'm sure that's something that ESPN employees uh, will be I'm trying to figure Evan. out. This, and, I'm a rarity, Evan. Come on. 
<laughs> There's more people like you than there are me. Come on. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Scott, let's move on real quick. I uh, want to touch on some two pieces of, co- of college sports news uh, that dropped in the, in the hours before we started recording this on Wednesday. Uh, the big first one, uh, the general counsel at the NLRB, that's the National Labor Relations Board, uh, released a memo saying that college athletes under their interpretation of the law um, should have the same rights as employees. This is potentially a huge deal for college sports. It's also potentially kind of a nothing deal for college sports. Um, But to kind of set the stage for what this might mean, obviously college athletes right now operate in this kind of weird quasi gray area where they are not employees. They're not classified as such. They're not compensated. And, and, and from a benefits medical standpoint, all those things are, are not the same as, as employees. You remember five or six years ago, the Northwestern football team tried Paging to unionize. Kane Coulter. Exactly. The, the NLRB was obviously involved in that as well because it's a private uh, university. Um, but in the context of, everything that has happened to kind of chip away at the business model that the NCAA has built and spent billions to protect over the past five or six or even longer decades. Um, this feels like it is potentially just another drop in the bucket of, of, of change coming to college sports. And this is going to be a test to see, to see if she still listens to our show, even though she's not the producer anymore. But if Medina Parwana, our former producer on the show, uh, we're here right now, we'd say, hey, can you insert a little music? You know, it's the end of the world as we know it. Like, <laughs> this would be a good time for that. And now I, I, she better call, she better text. If not, she's going to hear it from both of us. But uh, yeah, th- it's the end of the world as we know it. All this time fighting and fighting. And now we're in this new world order and you know, just all right, we'll shift and we'll change. And all that time fighting the changes, especially of NIL here. Um but the key here is that the athletes, if they are declared employees, are afforded the same protections as, as other employees, as, as you mentioned. So certainly a big change. Uh, and the second change you were mentioning comes with the actual use of a trademark term, March Madness, that we will not solely be seeing that on the court for the men's tournament uh, during the men's basketball, you know, the college basketball tournament. We now, for the first time, and I can't believe, I, I, I mean, I never noticed that it wasn't you, shame on me. And kudos to the team at the Wall Street Journal, I think, who first wrote the story that, that, that pointed out that they were expressly prohibited from using March Madness on the women's tournament, but they have now been graced uh, with the right to utilize the trademark term March Madness for the women's NCAA basketball tournament. And there was so much reporting back in, in March and April about the inequities between the way the NCAA presents the men's basketball tournament, which is by far its most important financial, social, impactful event. Yeah, of but the that's year. because the NCAA and would say it doesn't. The women don't make money. Like the well, women they, don't make money. And then they found out, thanks to I, I believe it was Rachel Bachman led the way. But it was like the reporting showed that they weren't allowed to. They weren't. They, they were. They were hamstrung in how they were allowed to capitalize on sponsorship, on the utilization of marks and rights. I think that's right. Exactly. And so the, and, and we can get into the media rights real quick. Cause I think this is, this is to me is the most important part. The CBS and Turner pay the NCAA almost $800 million a year for the men's tournament. It's a ton of money. The women's tournament is grouped into a pool with 19 other NCAA championships in a big ESPN deal that only pays about $35 million a year. The NCAA, 
it distributes just a little bit of that money, about 16% to the women's basketball tournament, even though there are experts that say if the NCAA sold this thing alone, it would go for three times yeah. more than the NCAA is What would it in. do as a standalone property? So exactly. let's give it the proper marketing rights like March Madness, as you're talking about. Let's separate it and see if you hit it in the open market, how much money it actually is going to make from an ESPN or whoever else wants to be the, the the home to broadcast the women's basketball tournament. And then let's see the numbers in terms of how much, how profitable the tournament is, how much the NCAA should and wants to be dedicating resource wise to it. But right now, again, as you said, we're, we're in this p- position where the NCAA is, is essentially deliberately holding it back and then also claiming that it shouldn't be doing more because the money is so low. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Hate the underscore. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. The social media editor is Cora Veltman. Hi, Cora. She loves for us to remind you that the show is at Sportacast, which for now is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. <laughs>